Well, hello, and welcome to the Respero podcast. I'm Joe Bishop, the director of Respero, and we are coming to you today from our international headquarters, the recording studio in our international headquarters here in Santa Cruz, California. Our international headquarters happens to be a spare bedroom in our house, which I use as a study and office, and it's a recording studio because I have a microphone plugged into a laptop, but hey, it works. It's a new year, and so we want to have a new season or series here in our podcasts, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the we means me, uh, we're going to talk about some of the stories of the Bible that we find towards the beginning. The stories of the Bible, so many of them, have insights, important insights about things that are vital to our mental and emotional and spiritual health. They're narratives, so they're not principles or formulas about uh, any of those things. But they, these stories show how God interacts with people, how he guides them, and how he offers relationships to, to them. These stories show how God loves people and is the source of life and wholeness. And they're psychologically accurate and, and very insightful. Now, next to the stories of Jesus... Uh, it is the stories about Israel's journey from slavery in Egypt to the promised land that are the most helpful and insightful. It even says one place in the New Testament that is these particular stories about Israel's journey that have much to teach us and that are very, very important for us to know, for us to understand, and for us to reflect on, because they, uh, they have so much in them, particularly Moses' individual journey, uh, have a lot of uh, helpful, helpful material for us, because they are about identity, and what courageous faith looks like, and about dealing with disappointment and frustration, uh, from within your own family and as you're trying to to lead people and have influence. Uh, there are stories about anger and how anger, when it's expressed in unhealthy ways, have that has real consequences. So I, I want to look at these stories found in the the part of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible that that are uh, we call books, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I want to start today um, at the beginning of Exodus and at the beginning of Moses' story and with his birth. Now there's so much more going on in the actual story as we have them in Exodus than kind of our common Sunday school picture of Moses. We know that, oh, he's born and he's a baby that's, you know, put in a basket 
in the bulrushes is uh, he's found and rescued, so to speak, by the daughter of the Egyptian king, who's uh, called a pharaoh. And it's kind of this sweet story about a baby, but there's not really that much sweet or nice about it. Because what the Bible, how the Bible actually describes it is that there are a group of people who are slaves. And they are slaves in Egypt, which is the most powerful and, and rich uh, economy and society and nation on earth in that day. That day is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,200 to 1,400 years before the time of Jesus. So over 3,000 years from our current day. And these people who have a relationship with God, they come from a family, the family of Abraham, that then uh, Abraham's grandson was Jacob, and he had 12 sons, and they end up down in Egypt. And that story is told towards the end of the book of Genesis. But in Exodus, we see how this immigrant family to Egypt became a threat, came to represent a threat to the, to the ruling class and race in Egypt, and so they were enslaved. They were immigrants who were, who were then mistreated and become slaves in Egypt. And they're, they're such a threat to Egypt and to the, the ruler in Egypt that he decides we've got to put a stop to their growth, their biological growth. So we're going to kill all the Hebrew babies who are boys. And we see that uh, in Exodus he tells us directly to some women who are midwives and involved in, in the birth event and process for, for the uh, moms, mothers of Israelite babies, and how they choose, these midwives choose, to pursue civil disobedience. They refuse to obey Pharaoh's uh, rule or edict to them to kill these Hebrew sons and because it goes against it goes against God it goes against what is right it says that these midwives feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do they let the boys live and eventually of course they are they are um, this is found out this is discovered and then the Egyptians take matters into their own hands and they begin making sure that Hebrew baby boys, when they're born, are killed by drowning, it says. Now you think about this. You think about how much pain, how much anguish there is going on in the people of Israel. They're slaves. They don't have freedom. Uh, they are working without pay. And then on top of that, every time there's a, a, a son born, something that should be a, a time of such great joy and excitement, 
Instead, it becomes a time of anguish and heartache because that, that baby who has been born is then yanked away and killed. So think of how confusing and heartbreaking and painful that is for them to understand. Why does God allow this? And in the midst of this, one Hebrew baby boy is born, and it tells us in Exodus chapter 2 that a man of the house of Levi, that's one of the family groups or, tr or tribes of, of the people of Israel, a man of the house of Levi is married to a Levite woman. It doesn't even give us their names here. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, later on in Exodus chapter 6, we are told their names. And that um, this couple who have a baby, and that baby becomes Moses, um, that the man's name is Amram, and the woman's name is Jochebed. I don't, I'm not sure how you pronounce them, but, um, and that it, it tells us in Exodus chapter 6 that Jochebed actually is Amram's aunt. So you have a man who marries his aunt. So that's messed up. That's strange. It's ironic that uh, Moses, who is the, the boy born to his dad and his great aunt. Okay, that's just, again, that's just weird and messed up. <laughs> and, and actually Moses, when Moses is given the law by God of how, how Israel is to live uh, later on in his life, one of the things that is included in this law is that a man should not marry his aunt. So that's ironic and just an indication as we, as, we, as we start out this story of Moses that it's a confusing, messy story and situation. This story of Moses that, that has so much to teach us about identity, we have to uh, get this detail at the beginning that his family is one that's probably you know, looked at by other families, even within the, the Israelite uh, people, as kind of different and not okay. And that's really not mentioned a lot in the Sunday school stories, is it? <clears throat> uh, that this sweet baby boy in a bulrush had been born to, uh, you know, a guy who was married to his aunt. But they have a boy, they have this son, this is a scary time. How are we going to uh, protect him and hide him so that he's not found and killed by the Egyptians? And for three months, they hide him. For three months, they have this like um, experience of having to hide their baby boy and kind of live in fear and feed him and give him what he needs, but when he cries, there maybe was like, oh, we can't, we can't let him cry. Imagine what that's like. If any of you, you know, you've had kids, 
or right now you're living in a situation where you got a baby in the house and you know that he cries a lot. They can get noisy. So they're, they're living in fear. So finally, though, they, they come up with a plan to put him in a, a basket and put him in the Nile River close to where Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing. And we don't know why they do this, but it's a plan to save him. And hopefully he'll be found and protected by the very woman who is the daughter of the person trying to kill him. And of course, the plan works. Pharaoh's daughter sees this baby boy, finds him, is drawn, attracted to, she immediately knows, it tells us, that he's a Hebrew baby. It says she found the baby, she saw the baby, the baby was crying, and she felt sorry for him. So she goes down to the river one day to take a bath with all of her female attendants. That was common for just where you would take a bath, but also probably some ritual or religious significance to bathing in the Nile River because the Nile River was seen as the source of life and the gods of the river were part of, part of this ritual probably. But anyway, one day she goes down there, she sees the baby, she just sees that he's helpless and innocent, and even though she knows, okay, she knows he's supposed to be put to death, she decides to uh, take him in, to protect him, to offer protection. She knows he's a Hebrew baby, maybe just by the color of his skin, that he looked different. There was an obvious, you know, racial difference. Uh, maybe by the fact that he's circumcised, we're not sure. That was part of the identification from from way back in Genesis, Hebrew baby boys were supposed to be circumcised as a sign of their covenant with God. Maybe that was still happening. We're not sure about that. But she makes a decision to protect him. And Moses' older sister was hiding and somehow uh, comes out of the wherever she was hiding she has a conversation with pharaoh's daughter and it turns out that pharaoh's daughter says you can keep the baby while he needs to be nursed but then i want him brought to me and i will bring him up in my household and i will take him and basically adopt him as my son and it says that pharaoh's daughter named him moses so that's obviously seen as the work of God to protect this one, just this one Hebrew baby. And we look at it with hindsight, and we see that this was, we believe this was God at work beginning um, the story of how he's going to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt and take them back to the land of Canaan, the land of Israel which he had promised to them. Now, the story as we have it in the book of Exodus now skips to the time when Moses is an adult. 
And so between uh, verses 10 and verses 11 in Exodus chapter 1, you have a time gap where Moses is being raised in Pharaoh's household by his daughter. Now this is the most, again, the richest family in the world, the most powerful family in the world. And this is the family, the house where Moses is raised. You know, there's the movies, like um, movies about this, like the Ten Commandments and the Prince of Egypt that, you know, many, many of us are familiar with having seen those movies. They portray a big sibling rivalry between Moses and, you know, Pharaoh's son. Maybe that happened, but that's speculation. What we do know is Moses is raised in, that, in this family. And it tells us actually in a different place in the Bible, in the book of Acts, where a man named Stephen is making a speech, it says that Moses, as he grew up in this family, was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And, he, and it describes Moses, he describes Moses as a man who was powerful in speech and in action. So by the time the story picks up again in Exodus chapter 1, verse 11, uh, according to the book of Acts, Moses is educated and he's known, he's pr probably admired, respected, seen as someone who is powerful in speech and action. We're going to come back to that description because it's, uh, it's, ironic and insightful for what happens later in Moses' life. But, by the way, here's a side note. How did Stephen know that? Because that's not, that's not told us anywhere in, in the Bible as we have it in the Hebrew Bible. There are also things, other things in, in Stephen's speech in the book of Acts chapter 7, and then other things about Moses and, and this whole episode or period of Moses' life in, in Hebrews chapter 11 that don't come from the book of Exodus, which, is, <clears throat> which kind of tells us that the, the Jews of Jesus' day and, and the period of the New Testament actually had other sources of information about um, the stories of the Bible. There were other oral traditions, possibly even written um, books, that gave additional information. So that's just a side note. So what does it tell us now about what happened when Moses became an adult in Exodus? One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at hard labor. He saw an Egyptian... He, um, he has gone from living in the most powerful family and nation of the earth where he has some kind of authority or, you know, he's powerful in speech and action. And one day then he decides to try to uh, intervene on behalf of his the Hebrew people, and because of what he does, he ends up in the middle of nowhere. He goes from being in the center of everything to the middle of nowhere, where no one knows him, 
where no one knows who he is, and it he now has a life of obscurity and complete irrelevance in terms to what's happening in, in Egypt. That is such an incredibly, incredibly dramatic shift in his circumstances overnight. And we know from you know this place in the Bible and other places that this this now is his life for many, many, many years. And in our next um, story, in our next episode, our next podcast, we want to look at what happens and how he encounters God and you know his mindset at that point. But I, I want to come back to just to make a few observations about this whole episode. Moses evidently, at some point in, in his adult life, decides, and we're not sure why, actually the book of Hebrews uh, tells us that he, he wanted to uh, intervene on, on behalf of his people, and he decides to do this, and he expects that, that they will respond to him. He expects that they will see him as their leader, their rescuer. They will, they will kind of rally to him, um, and it doesn't happen. So Moses had some expectations that about what God was up to in his life, about what God wanted him to do. It tells us in Acts chapter 7, again, this is in Stephen's speech, that... <clears throat> Um, he, he thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. <clears throat> so this whole episode of where he goes out and he sees an Egyptian mistreating, beating uh, a Hebrew, and he either just decides on the spur of the moment or... He has that intention, we're not sure, but he intervenes and he kills the Egyptian because he thinks that's how he is going to begin the process of, of rescuing and liberating his people from slavery. But now it's even interesting to say that, that the Hebrews are his people because you have Moses now, he's an adult, and he's, he's in Pharaoh's household, but he knows he's not an Egyptian. So there's, it's, very, it's very possible and even probable that he's very, very conflicted about his own identity and about his own role. What's he supposed to do? Clearly, he knows he's a Hebrew. He knows that his people, his race, his family is being, are slaves. He can possibly look out his window, his bedroom window, and see them working and being mistreated. Or every day, this is the, their reality, and yet he's living in luxury. He's living with influence. He's been raised and educated, and he's gotten to enjoy all the benefits of growing up in Pharaoh's household. But his own people are being mistreated as slaves, his family 
We don't know if he continued to interact with them throughout his life, throughout the, all those years when he's a child, when he's a, you know, he becomes an adult, and then uh, he, we don't know. We don't know if he interacts with his family. That would have been awkward, surely, if he tried to help them, if he tried to bring them food, or any of that. But one day, he decides that it's time. He decides that what God wants him to do is intervene on behalf of his people, the Hebrews, so he does. But he misinterprets what's going to happen, what God wanted him to do. He thought, evidently, that his people would recognize who he was and they would see him as their rescuer, savior, liberator. They would rally to him, and in some, in some way, he would, he would rescue them. But he does it through violence. So one of the observations is here that he misinterpreted how he was supposed to go about this, that he wasn't ready for it yet. I mean, we know that actually that's what eventually happens. Mo God uses Moses to bring his people out of slavery. Moses thought he was ready, but he wasn't. He misinterpreted what God was up to in his life. One of the ways that he misinterpreted this was that he thought using violence would be how God wanted him to go about this. And I, I want to take a moment and just talk about how even today in our world, our, our culture, our thinking is permeated by this myth, what's called the myth of redemptive violence. That, and if you watch TV shows, if you watch movies, if you read books, over and over and over again, there's a similar theme to the plot. And that is, there's a hero who sees an injustice being done, who sees violence being perpetrated somewhere against somebody. And he takes matters into his own hands and uses violence to avenge and to set things right. This is what Moses is doing here. In our culture, in these TV shows, in these movies, then the, the, he, the person who does this is seen as a hero, is seen as, and, and basically things usually you know, work out, and he's justified in using violence to avenge violence, to bring justice through violence. This is not the message or the story of the Bible. The, the Christian mindset is to be profoundly counterculture in this regard. We are not to use violence. This is one of the key themes of Jesus' story and how we see Jesus in his teaching and in his actions. And here we see Moses learning this lesson the hard way. He, he uses violence, but it doesn't work. And I think it's appropriate to, to mention this or see, you know, point this out in this story of Moses. This is uh, uh, the week we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s 
birthday or holiday this week. And if you read the speeches and um, writing of Martin Luther King, this theme of nonviolence as a profoundly Christ-like way to respond to injustice um, is seen throughout uh, Martin Luther King's life, his speeches, his writings, whether it's in his famous uh, speech in Washington, D.C., his I Have a Dream speech, or his letter from a Birmingham jail, or um, other other things that he wrote, other speeches that he made, this, this theme of we must not use violence to counteract violence. That is a very biblical, biblical idea. And so I think for our well-being and just understanding, even in relationships, uh, maybe it's, it's not physical violence, but verbal or emotional violence, it will never be the pathway to peace and love to use violence in return. Moses did that, tried to do that, and he ends up out in the middle of nowhere. His life is dramatically, dramatically changed. He goes from a place of influence to a place of obscurity because he misinterpreted what God was up to in his life. He, misinter he, he, he misread how the how of God, how God wanted to use him to rescue his people. And frankly, I think this is a struggle for many, many people today. At, at all stages and ages of our lives, understanding what God is up to in our life, we misinterpret, we misread um, God's role and God's purpose in our life. You know, it's interesting that in the scriptures, every person who has a significant role in, in moving God's story forward, every single person has, has a long period of obscurity, of solitude, of being a nobody uh, before God really uses him. And we don't want to hear this, we don't like this, but this, this idea of... of periods of solitude and silence and learning how to just hear God and be faithful is, is a very common idea and theme throughout the scriptures. So difficult in our day and age. In, there's so much noise. There's so much distraction. But this idea that I'm, if I'm going to hear God, if I'm going to understand my life, uh, I, I need someone to help me do that. I need someone to, I need to be rooted in a community where people are going to help me hear and understand the voice of God. I think this is one of the reasons why Moses, by the way, misinterpreted and didn't understand what God was up to in his life because he was not, he was not rooted in a faith community. Moses was a guy living in two worlds, the Egyptian world, but he knew he wasn't Egyptian. He's a Hebrew, but he's not, he's not rooted in that community. So he doesn't have a place. And so I think if we're going to understand our life, understand what wholeness and uh, 
what our calling is, how to live out faithful, courageous obedience and love in our lives, we have to be rooted in a community, a faith community, where people are going to know us and where we can draw on wisdom. And I also think, frankly, I think we have to make a commitment to nonviolence, physical, verbal, emotional nonviolence. Love and violence do not coexist. So I'll leave you uh, I'll leave you with that thought, that question basically at the end of this podcast. What is God up to in your life? And do you feel like you have a clear sense of that? Are you rooted in a community? Um, Are you secure in your own identity? Because one of the things that we're going to see in our next podcast is Moses couldn't understand his life until he understood his identity, until he understood God's identity. So the stories of the Bible just have these fascinating psychological dimensions uh, about emotional and mental and relational health. And the beginning of Moses' story is pretty messy. Uh, He makes a mistake and he pays for it. And this is how he comes to be in a place of obscurity and irrelevance. And only then, only then, could could he hear when God spoke to him. So, For myself, I want to get to a place where I can hear God through other people, through the scriptures, through the Spirit of God speaking to me. That's going to require solitude and silence and a commitment to not returning violence, to seek justice and peace through through the means of Jesus uh, and learning how to do that because I don't claim to be all that good at it but we need that so much in our world and in our day all right grace and peace to all of you may the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace